Welcome to the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about negotiation and open your mind to how it can change your life. Why you may want to listen to this episode. Listen, maybe you want to land a better job with a better salary or even become more respected in your career. A key takeaway within this episode is negotiation is for everyone and people really should expand their minds about what negotiation is. My next guest, Alexandra Carter, is a clinical professor of law and director of mediation clinic at Columbia Law School, where she has spent over a decade helping thousands of people improve their negotiation skills. She is a world-renowned negotiation trainer for the United Nations, where she has taught dozens of negotiation workshops to hundreds of diplomats from more than 80 nations. Wow. In 2019, Carter was awarded Columbia University's highest teaching honor, and she is set to release a book on Amazon on May 5th with the title, Ask for More, 10 Questions to Negotiate Anything. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no better person for this episode here, so I can't wait to get into the art of negotiation. Let's launch right into it with our Career Warrior Podcast. All right, Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. So I want to ask you, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about negotiation general, but what is negotiation and what is negotiation not? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Chris, I in writing this book, I wanted to expand the conversation about negotiation. A lot of people think it's just a back and forth with somebody else over money and that they can only really negotiate well if they're business people, senior business people, maybe politicians. And they might also think that negotiation is only something that the biggest, most aggressive person in the room can do well. You know, like you said, you sort of strap on your suit or your suit of armor, as it were, um, and go in and make your arguments the, the loudest. And I wanted to let people know that whether you are a management consultant, a mechanic, or a mom, you too are a negotiator and you can feel confident doing it. Negotiation is not just a back and forth over money. It's actually about steering. Negotiation is any conversation in which you are steering a relationship. We had this conversation before, so I, I wrote that intro out purposely just to be like, okay, people need to expand their minds to what negotiation is. Just because I think that there are so many instances where we can be negotiating and it's it's a word that's that just kind of, like I said, just brings to mind only those boss one on one conversations. But um, you're saying it's everything. It is, you know, and I know that a lot of your listeners may be job seekers or people who are in transition and thinking about their next thing. And so I, I wanted them to know that the entire process of seeking a job is negotiation. You want to be thinking from the moment you initiate communication with somebody, how are you teaching them to value you? How are you framing your experience and what kinds of questions are you asking them so that you've been negotiating successfully long before hopefully you get to the last stage of that, which is the money conversation and figuring out what it's going to take to get you to join. So are you saying that it is 
it's almost like it's too late to negotiate at the very end. It's an, it's the entire process from the beginning to end. That's exactly right. And in a way, I hope that takes the pressure off people for that eventual money conversation. Why? Yeah. Because my goal is to help people start by asking the right questions of themselves before they even are getting into the interview room with somebody else so that they're really clear on what they're looking for, what they need from this job, what they have to offer, and then to help them ask great questions of the interviewer or whoever else they're in negotiation with so that by the time they get to that money conversation, they're already feeling really prepared and like they're starting ahead. I love that, Alex, so much. And towards the end of this episode, for you listeners, we're going to just do a quick walking example of what negotiation might look like from beginning to end if you're going through an interview and trying to get that salary you deserve. That has been a theme of this podcast. And I think just tune in and stay and listen to this part because it's going to be awesome. But um, I, I guess I just want to make a special call out here just because there are some people who may identify as shy, so to speak. And um, in our 85th episode, Alex, we did just an episode all for shy people. And even for me, I've been all all across the spectrum in my life. I've been that super shy person who's um, been more reserved and quiet. And I've been this big, bold person giving talks in front of a bunch of people. So I can really identify as both. But let's say I, I am on that side of, of uh, uh, the spectrum that is sort of shy. So you're telling me that I need to come out of my shell and become... Nelson Mandela <laughs> with my negotiation or <laughs> I got news for you Chris I'm no Nelson Mandela either and in okay. fact I think sometimes people see you know my resume or my bio or they see the title of my book and they think that woman must have been born a negotiator she's a lawyer she's pr a professor she must always feel comfortable and Chris that's actually not true there were many years of my life where, despite being a person who likes talking to people, I didn't always feel comfortable asking for more or asking for what I was worth. And I want people to know that a lot of us are going through life right now settling for less when we could be asking for more because we think, you know, we don't approach people with what we have to offer. Even at home, we might stuff it and say, stay silent rather than, you know, sharing what we need with the people right. closest to us. You don't right. have to be the loudest person in the room to be a great negotiator. You can do it by listening and asking great questions. And once I started to realize that I too could negotiate and I didn't have to be argumentative or try to overpower people. And Chris, by the way, I'm 5'2 in sneakers, you know, so um, I'm mm. never the biggest person in any room unless it's a room full of kids. You know, you don't need to be that loud, aggressive person. I know some shy, quiet, reserved people who can listen like no other. They ask amazing questions and they get great results while also having great relationships. I love that. One of the things that it really sticks with me to this day, one of the best things we can have, and like you sensed this in me, was my ability to see the other side and, and work with other people and, and their needs. And that really resonated with me because I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about negotiation, they're and the same with the job search in general, when people are applying for jobs, is they're thinking me, 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 and it's so centrally focused, whereas a lot of negotiation should be focused on the entire party as a whole and how you could benefit both sides. So yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. I remember you saying, in fact, you know, 
I don't always feel like, you know, maybe I'm the best negotiator because I'm service oriented. I want to contribute to people. Mm. I want to give to them. And it's my view that, in fact, that's the best kind of negotiator, because what that does, Chris, is it builds trust. And when you build relationships of trust with people, those are going to produce a lifetime of value. That means there's not just one yes or one handshake. It means that people like me and many others are going to call you again and again and thank you yeah. when they have something in mind. So um, I think it's a yeah. perfect example of somebody who thinks, well, I'm not all about taking, 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 so I must not be doing well. Far from it. You're going to do much better in the long run. I love that. Thank you so much. Okay, so just to, I guess, cap off that question here, if I'm not used to negotiating what's the first step to breaking out of my shell and becoming a better negotiator? Yeah. You know, the first step is actually not breaking out of your shell. The first step is something that might surprise your listeners. The first step is going deep on yourself. You know, when I talk about negotiation being about steering relationships, what's the most important relationship of your life? It's the one you have with yourself. And I noticed over the course of years and helping a lot of people negotiate better, didn't matter whether somebody was a United Nations diplomat or a person who had a high school degree, I found that people hadn't taken the time or known the right questions to ask themselves so that they entered the negotiation room with somebody else from a place of clarity. I hear this all the time, people saying, you know, yeah. Alex, how can I stand in my power as a negotiator? And I want people to know that your greatest source of power is not bluster, it is knowledge. And it starts with how well you know yourself. So the first part of my book is all about asking yourself just five great questions that are going to help you get to know yourself and your goals and your successes and your needs better than you ever have before. So that when you sit down with somebody else, you are doing it from a place of confidence and clarity. I love that so much. Thank you. I want to talk about the biggest weapons of negotiation, which you claim are fear and guilt. So how do they come into play within a negotiation? Why are these the biggest enemies of a negotiation? Yeah. So, you know, Chris, I talk about feelings in my book and I call it the F word. Why? Because nobody <laughs> wants to admit that we have feelings. In fact, the first time I previewed this book and talked about feelings and asked, this was at the United Nations, and I mm -hmm. asked a group of 80 diplomats, you know, what do you feel about this situation that you're tackling? And people were stunned initially. And one person said to me, Alex, I can't feel things while I'm wearing a suit. <laughs> I think <laughs> so often we're not used to thinking about it, right? So feelings in general are your friend. Do you know why? Because Chris, feelings are how we make decisions in life. Do you know there was a neuroscientist, Antonio Damasio, who studied people whose brains were totally intact, except for the part on the right that processed emotions. And what happened? 
it meant that those folks could not make decisions. And I'm not talking about, you know, big decisions about what should I do with my life. I'm talking about whether I should have Chinese or Italian for dinner. So really, yes, it turns out that feelings are the way we make decisions. And so they are our friend and we should get to know them. So there are two emotions, which I call the big two that we stuff down more than any other. We don't want to think about them. We don't want to admit them. And they are fear and guilt. Let me give you a couple of examples of how those can come up in everyday negotiations. Let's say you're in the office and you need to give feedback to somebody or somebody's giving feedback to you, a difficult conversation, right? And you're giving that feedback and you're getting a lot of anger and defensiveness from the other person. You can picture this, right? And underneath that anger, what is it? It's fear, number one. What does this mean for my career? What have I done? Can I ever recover from this? And the second is guilt. Did I really mess something else up? What could I have done better? God, how could I have let myself do this? And when you know that somebody is experiencing fear and guilt, it can help you, right? Because what you can do then is to help focus them on what they have to gain, number one. So get them out of that loss frame of mind and say, listen, this conversation is great. My goal for this conversation is to make sure nobody has a reason not to promote you in the future, right? So when you see that guilt and that fear, those big two coming up, you can do things about it. And Chris, just the way you see the big two in the office, I see it in the home all the time. And let me tell you, (laughs) we are all home now. And the times when I feel the most anger, the most irritability, it's because I, too, am experiencing that fear and that guilt. Yeah. yeah. You said you had a story. I think it was, um, it was I think it was with your spouse and um, one of your children with a video game. Yes, that's right. So yeah. my daughter, you know, we've all been now home, as you said, for, you know, a couple of weeks. And early on in this, my my daughter was, you know, relentlessly playing uh, video games. And I came in and said, here I am, the negotiation expert, right? I came in and I said, you know, we got to stop that. It's time for you to start writing. And she said, no, I want to play my video games and I hate reading and writing and I don't want to do them anymore. Okay. Um, it's pretty I'm, classic. <laughs> pretty classic, right? And, and I'm not going to tell you the totally unproductive way in which I responded. Just, just needless to say, um, it wasn't what I've written down in my book. I was angry. And why was I angry? Fear and guilt. Fear, number one. Oh, no, it's too late. My daughter's chance to be a lover of reading is gone forever at age nine, and I'll never be able to get it back. Guilt, I'm a working mom. I work too much. If I were home with my daughter more, if I were spending more time with her, she would love reading. And when I felt those two feelings, I kind of exploded at her and at my husband, right? Mm. Instead of Mm. acknowledging that that's what I was feeling. So, you know, sometimes when you're aware that those are your negotiation killers, you can back up and which is what I did after a couple minutes. And I said to my husband, I'm sorry, I'm I'm feeling a lot of fear, both about the epidemic, but also because, you know, I haven't been spending a lot of time with her. I'm worried that we're getting her on the wrong track and I feel guilty that I haven't been doing enough. 
That, Chris, was a totally different conversation that ended in a hug and the two of us figuring out together what we could do to support my daughter. Wow. I I would respect someone who did that so much, so much in a conversation, because like you said, these these types of escalations are not easy when you're going through them. And um, you really it, it is almost this physiological response that is really fear taking over, because like when I when I first typed out that question, I was like, how do you fight fear? How do you fight guilt? But you're almost saying to like work with it just because just by the nature of being more aware of it. That's exactly right, because when you try to stuff it down, let me tell you what happens. It it rises up again like the monster at the end of the action movie, right, where you think <laughs> it's gone and then, oh, no, it's not right before the credits. And so, yes, I find that being aware and being transparent yeah. about that really helps. And if you know, for example, that you're feeling those things before you go into a negotiation with someone else and you write them down and you reflect yeah. on them, you are much less likely to be gripped by fear when you enter the conversation. You'll have a strategy for how to manage that in a more productive way. Okay. So I want to I want to pull an example, which is and I've had performance reviews before in the past. I'm remembering one right now that comes to mind where I was um, trying not to give it away because you never know who's listening to the podcast. But uh, my old um, one of my old bosses uh, was giving me a performance review, which I kind of felt like was a negotiation because I wanted you know to move up within the company. I wanted a promotion at the time. But I could feel it kind of going south in a way because they weren't happy with one particular aspect of my my management. So like fear, fear and guilt, really, it's all coming back to me, you know, started to settle in and I found myself starting to get more defensive. But you're saying, Chris, if you can go back in time, get your journal out before before the actual um, appraisal itself and start to to write some things out that might get you thinking because by that time, I was very reactive at that point. I had, I was kind of caught off guard and I knew the sentiments of this person towards me, but I didn't really, I guess, prepare myself for my own emotions or reactions I had. It wasn't the worst thing. I just remember getting a little bit defensive. And if I can go back in time, I know I could have managed that better. Yeah. So, so here's what I would let's go back in time to that, Chris. And, and here's yeah. what I would say to that, Chris. Yes, you can prepare beforehand and it will make it better if you if you think about your feelings beforehand. But also, let's say you get surprised, okay? Let's say you're not expecting the review and it comes in and there's a piece of it that's critique and you feel that coming up. Knowing that it's there, right? And understanding that is still going to help you in the moment, right? For me, it sometimes means it just shortens the period where I'm freaking out um, until the period where I can engage productively. You know, the other questions in my book beyond feelings are also great things to fall back on when you are getting into a more heated conversation, because we'll talk about this later, but you'll be able to revert back to, OK, so what's my goal for this conversation? What do I need from this boss? What do I think this boss needs from me? And then you can help to focus the discussion in a forward-looking way. So instead of it becoming sort of a referendum on stuff you didn't do in the past, it's more about what do they need from you in the future and what do you need from them to make this a productive working partnership? Great. Now, Alex, I want to talk about silence. 
see what I did there? Um, I, <laughs> I, so silence is a big part of a negotiation and, um, I, I want to hear how you believe that it plays into a negotiation itself because I, even for me to pause for two seconds sometimes feels like an eternity. So in your opinion, how do you feel that silence plays a role? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I run a game in my negotiation workshop sometimes where people have to line up in two lines. And then I have one line speak about something that's important to them. And the other line has to stay silent for 90 seconds. Chris, the number of people who cannot do that, and I've conducted this in a lot of places around the world, especially in the US, is staggering. We're just not used to silence. And so I want to um, leave your reader with something. I think a lot of times we're afraid of silence um, in part because we're not sure, you know, what's on the other side of that. And I'm here to tell you that over and over, I've seen that silence is a gift. It means that you have given the other person the gift of time to really consider how they want to move forward. And sometimes the amount of silence in the room is proportionate to how great your question was. And in the book, I'm giving you some really open questions, you know, because a lot of times people are used to being asked, okay, does this look good? Can we move on? When you ask somebody an open question that really treats them like a partner, they're going to pause for a couple seconds to consider it. And so I want to leave your reader, your listeners rather, with these three words. Three words that your listeners should remember forever, land the plane. What does that mean? It means when you ask a great question, ask it and close your mouth. I've seen so many people ask a wonderful question like, Chris, what do you need from me here today? And then they can't let the silence go. And so they'll say, would $10,000 do it? No, don't do it. (laughs) That's something I would. (laughs) Right? Because you don't know what that person needed. Maybe it was 10,000. Maybe it was five and you overpaid. Maybe it was mentorship. Maybe it was vacation. Maybe it was prospects for eventual promotion. We don't know what people need and we don't know what is on the other end of that silence. So land the plane. Have courage. You can do it. The, the fact that you said it's a gift that you can give, I think, is just what's most eye-opening for me. Just because that, as someone who's very service-oriented, who's thinking about the other person, it's that's something that would motivate me to take the time to actually make an effort to build silences within my conversations. Yeah, I, think that's I see awesome. that about you. You, I could see you being uncomfortable with silence because you think it means that you have put the other person on the spot. And it's not true. If the other person needs help, they'll ask you for help. And that's great. Then you can work with them together. But most often, when you allow people to sit in silence for even just a few seconds, what you're telling them is, your opinion matters to me. It's important. And I'm willing to wait for it. I love that, Alex. Do you have any recommendations for getting comfortable with being silent? Is it is it a practice fake it till you make it type thing? Or how do you start incorporating these pauses? It's a, it's a practice. It's honestly like going to the gym. And I'll tell you, well, 
<laughs> okay, I'm going to share a personal story now. You want to know a really Please. great way to <laughs> practice silence? So, Chris and your listeners, I teach this for a living. And yet, even the professor sometimes needs reminders. Two months ago, before quarantine, I was working so hard, teaching so much, doing media interviews, that I lost my voice. And so for an entire week, I couldn't use my voice to engage and connect with people. And you would think, well, the, the result of that is going to be that nobody's going to talk to me. Quite the opposite, Chris. It ended <laughs> up being that my coworkers, my husband, my daughter, and my friends all shared more with me in that week than I had heard from them in the previous six months. So, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> practice, practice, practice. And if you can't practice, lose your voice and see what happens. <laughs> I love that. And, uh, and I'm sure when you were, when your voice was gone, it's not like you weren't present there. I'm sure they can see in your facial expressions and your eye contact and uh, just your your demeanor and body language that you were actually listening to them and being attentive. So that is awesome. Thanks for sharing that story. You you got it. And and no. you know one more thing. And I once had a mediation where you know I was mediating a couple who had broken up and they had some money disputes. And yeah. the judge in court said, "You have one hour to work this out, or you're going to trial." Do you know? We spent 55 minutes of that one hour in silence and they were crying. And I looked at them and I looked at the crying and I knew instinctively these two people are not going before the judge. They are grieving the end of their relationship. They need to take this time. And yeah. so I thought to myself, I'm not going to rush to talk about the money. They sat there for 55 minutes. And at the end of that, one picked her head up and looked at the other and said, okay, Let's settle this. Here's my monetary offer. Sometimes silence is what people need to move forward and come up with a solution. Oh, gosh, that is that is beautiful. I've always heard just like the power of of listening in silence. But when you hear an actual story brought out like that, I think that's just so powerful. Wow. I also love to leave listeners with some tactical advice here. And we talked about in the very beginning how we're going to do like a working example of someone at the beginning of a job application process all the way to the very end and how to manage that relationship. I love your advice where you talk about negotiating salary. Um, so let's say I'm interviewing with a company. Um, let's play out what steering the relationship would look like so I can get the right salary that I deserve. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, if we're talking about, you know, right from the beginning, so it starts with you looking and saying, okay, what do I need from this job? We're going to get into the questions, but really, you know, asking yourself some questions about this job in a way that's going to help you before you even sit down for the interview. Mm. I also would be engaging the other side in questions, you know, so your prospective employer right from the beginning, right, about what they need most in this position, how the last person they successfully hired who turned out to be a star and what that person was like, you know, questions that really give you insight into how you can knock it out of the park. And also so that then how you can frame your experience 
in a way that puts you toward the top of the salary band that lets them. So this is all starting before the actual conversation. Absolutely. It's so research. It's research. So before you are even sending that cover letter, I'd be thinking carefully about you know the strategy of your job search. This goes back to the questions. And also then about the specific people you might be interviewing with. I do a lot of research when I'm negotiating with someone, and that includes, you know, conversations like this, going back to listen and understand what it is that somebody needs and how I can best provide that to them, right? In a way that is going to be more specific and tailored and valuable than what anybody else is providing. So yes, steering the relationship starts right from the beginning. It starts at home with you, and then it starts from your cover letter, your first outreach, and all of the conversation you have leading yeah. up to the money. Yeah, I always tell people in my advice for people when they're writing a, a resume or specifically cover letters is to look at the amount of times that they say the word I versus they say the word you within that cover letter, because how many times you use the word you in a cover letter is a good indicator of the research that you put into the needs of that company. So for instance, if you know that you're looking, you know, if a company's looking to hire a sales manager to improve the conversion rates of a company or a team, uh, that's some very valuable research that might be able to land you that job. So look at looking at the actual needs of the company. I, I just I don't think that could be stated enough. Chris, I think focusing on the you rather than the I is one of the best pieces of advice I have ever heard about job search. Mm. So thank you for that. And I think it applies equally to all negotiation. By starting your negotiation with questions, you're starting with you. And I think people assume that they need to start with the I. I want, I need, I demand. When you start by getting to know the other side, they are completely disarmed. Not only are they disarmed, but they think, wow, this person took the time to really get to know me and what I'm looking for. And so then when you get to the I, not only have you created more trust, but you're pitching better. Why? Because you know the target you're aiming for. Everyone, right now, pause the episode, rewind back 15 seconds, and repeat <laughs> exactly. Listen to what you said, because I think that is not only the key to a great negotiation, it's the key to a great job search, it's the key to a great career, it's the key to just living a more fulfilling life, is just putting more focus into the other person first and because it's not like you're forgetting the needs of yourself because understandably it will come back to you and i'm not saying do things just so they can come back to you or do things just because you have an ulterior motive it's it's almost quite the opposite it's 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 the fact that we're all in this game together that's just how life works is just looking at the needs of the other person so thank you for saying that. That made me that makes me so happy. No, and, and um, thank you. I'm gonna go back and rewind this myself and listen to it more than once. Awesome. And then right. because I know that your listeners are eventually looking to get to right the salary or the compensation package. And so right. let's let's talk about that. So, you know, 
Questions, again, are so key when you are looking to negotiate the best package possible. I knew one senior executive who was offered a promotion, a substantial promotion at her company, but not enough money. So she, you know, and again, Chris, she had steered her relationships really well up until this point. So she continually and she pleasantly asked how can we get me closer to a salary that better reflects the work I'm going to be doing in this critical role? Again, this is not I demand, I insist. It's asking the question. question. Right? And so once they got to the maximum, they said to her, you know, let us be frank. We have a pot set aside for this and you've hit the max. And she said, okay, great. Thanks for letting me know. What other pots do we have to draw from to get me closer to where we both know the market is. And it turns out they found something. This job would have required this executive to travel a lot bi-coastally, right? To go to California repeatedly from New York. And there was a separate pot for travel. And so they ended up giving her an all-expense-paid trip for her spouse once a month to join her on the opposite coast. And so this was a substantial, not only monetary value, but a lifestyle value for her. And she only got it because she asked open questions. What can we do? What else can we do? Fantastic illustration there. A couple of mini questions in regards to salary negotiation. And I get this from from job seekers at our meetups. Uh, But first of all, what if they ask what your salary expectations are when it's earlier within the application stage uh, versus afterwards. I always found that to be slightly uncomfortable. It's like you're just applying for the job now and you're being put in this position to where you're you're being asked to lay out pretty much what you think you're worth. How would you feel that question or would you find a way to bounce around it? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a very interesting tactical question. And I think that again, you know, tactics all come from your strategy. And so you want to be thinking, first of all, you know, again, doing your research up front, figuring out, you know, not just where you want to enter this company, but maybe where you want to end up, what you want your trajectory to be. And so some of this, yes, is basic research about market comps. It's asking people. But, you know, it's also then reading the situation and figuring out have I already said enough to teach them how to value me at a high level here? Or do I need to tactfully find a way to say, you know, um, great question. I'm open to that discussion. You know, I'd love to finish talking about everything that I know that I can bring to the table and how we can partner together and then reserve the money conversation for a bit later once we've had all the information on the table. For those of you listening, I think this is coming across so smooth just because Alex is very experienced in this. So what I want to do is just I want to find a way to to get the phrasing captured from what you just said, because I just think it's so brilliant the way that you're phrasing these things. I think it's something that you have to practice and rehearse just a few times in order so that it can come out that way. What I'll do here is just link some resources from Alex's website. And I just think it's I think this is so incredibly helpful to just look over and do your research because it's it takes practice, I think. So, you know, it certainly does. And it did for me, too, Chris. And, you know, in fact, the first time I negotiated my salary, 
I was so nervous, I almost couldn't uh, see straight. And I went in <laughs> with a, you know, a pad and a pencil, and I had a salary range in mind. And then they came in above. And so uh, on the spot, I worked to keep my facial expression neutral, and I wrote everything down, and I said, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to need to run these numbers and talk to my family, and then I'm going to come back to you. And I didn't know what to do. So I called, actually, a senior woman in my field, and I said, I'm not sure what to do. They came in above. And she said, I'm going to tell you what to do right now. And I said, OK, great. What do I do? And she said, you're going to ask for more. And I said, I'm going to ask for more. And she said, <laughs> yes, because when you teach somebody how to value you, you teach them how to value all of us. And when they know that you can tactfully negotiate for yourself, they're going to know that you can tact tactfully and effectively negotiate on behalf of the company. So go in there ask the question, ask for more. And that, Chris, is the title of the book. Alex, you've been such a great guest so far. Before we conclude with your book here, any final words of advice? Or let me let me phrase it this way. This is my favorite way to ask this question. If you can tattoo one encouraging message for people looking to get better at the art of negotiation, what would that message be? It would be that negotiation is for everyone. I want you to know that no matter who you are, how old you are, how much schooling you've had, your experience, how tall or short you are, man, woman, any gender, that you too can be a confident and a competent negotiator. And it's not about who can yell the loudest or rehearse their arguments in the mirror that is not negotiation. That is public speaking. <laughs> negotiation is a two-way conversation. And with just a few questions, I promise that you too can negotiate and feel great doing it. Wow, Alex, that is so powerful. Thank you so much. It's, uh, I, I think, you know, I said earlier, a key takeaway would be just being able to look at the other side and consider the needs of the other person. But I think that's, what you just said right now is a really amazing key takeaway as well, which is like, it's, it's for everyone. You don't have to be like this loud, boisterous person. It's, 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 it's being who you are, embracing that and finding a way to just, just do it, you know, just to negotiate. So let me hear what is, first of all, the title of your book again with the subtitle, what is it? You got it. Um, it's ask for more 10 questions to negotiate anything. Okay, so I'll, I'll let you know right now, I've, I've been thoroughly convinced from the start that I need to pre-order this book, and I'm going to do that right as soon as I get done here. It releases on the 5th, so I just want to make sure I get this right. Yes, it releases on May 5th, and for those of you listening, we don't know sort of the, the state of the country on May 5th, but here's what we do know. Amazon and all major retailers absolutely will be fulfilling orders of this book. You can get delivery. And I would also look to your local indie bookstore. We have a wonderful one in my town. They are offering delivery. They are offering curbside pickup. And so I would encourage you, whether it's Amazon or whether it's supporting your local indie, there are lots of ways to get this message in your hands. For those of you listening, I will drop the the uh, link in the description of that Amazon link so you can get it 
Uh, I, I have to ask, what was the initial motivation for you writing this book? What kind of spurred that that uh, moment when you decided to write it? Well, if you want to know the truth, <laughs> I had to have major foot surgery two years ago, and it left me confined to a hospital bed for months at a time. And oh, wow. for the first time in my life, I was forced to slow way down to spend time at home, sort of like I am right now. And I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted my legacy on earth to be. And I realized that I was spending a lot of time training people in corporations and at the UN and elsewhere, but that the work I really loved to do was when I would go into Brooklyn civil court and I would talk to everyday folks who weren't part of a large corporation or weren't UN ambassadors and giving them tools to make their lives better. And I realized that I wanted to write something that would help anybody for a much lower price, be able to access tools that they could use immediately and in every aspect of their lives. That is such a good reason. I don't care what anyone says. That is fantastic. And just looking, like listening to some of the the messages that um, people are sending on LinkedIn, it's, I'll tell you like, these are the types of people that should be reading the book. Like it's, it's anyone who's involved with like any sort of situation. And even for me, I'm not a job seeker, you know, fortunately I haven't had to look in a while, but I think this is something that can make me a better leader. Uh, thank you for writing it. I think this is something that people need to really need to read. Awesome. I, I hope they do. And I, I tell people after we have, you know, trained or spent to get time together that now we're colleagues for life. And I say this at the end of the book, and I, I mean it. And so I hope I invite people, when you read the book, if you have questions, if you want to tell me everything you're going out to achieve, I'd love to hear it. And I would love to stay in touch. I have a website. It's alexcarterasks.com, where you can find me. Uh, there's content on there for you, and um, you can join my list where I give regular tips to people, and it's the best way for us to stay in touch so that I can help you achieve your goals. Great. And what social media platforms can people follow you on? Sure. I'm on Instagram at Alexandra B. Carter. That's where to go if you also want pictures of me cooking in my kitchen or hanging out with my uh, daughter and <laughs> spouse. I'm also, <clears throat> I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there as well. Uh, it's Alexandra Carter, or I believe my handle is uh, Alexandra B. Carter. And I'm on Twitter, reluctantly. My, my publisher said, <laughs> Alex, everybody's on Twitter. And so uh, I'm there. I'm not but a big I, Twitter guy. Yeah, I really, I find it makes me, it makes me depressed. I'd rather stick to um, <laughs> the Italian cooking on Instagram and the networking on LinkedIn. Fantastic. And uh, actually, I'm stealing this from another podcast I just listened to, but um, I'm going to I'm going to say it here, but um, screenshot this episode, no matter where you're listening through Spotify or Apple um, screenshot and share this on LinkedIn and tag us. And I would just love to hear what your key insights were from this episode, whether it's the fact that, you know, one of these questions really opened up your eyes or the fact that negotiation is for everyone. Let us know what you thought and, and share, um, share this message on LinkedIn, not just because we're trying to self-promote here, but also because this gives you the opportunity to learn again by teaching other people 
um, you're offering value on your platform, whether it's Instagram or LinkedIn to other people through some of these insights. So do it. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And uh, this has just been such an exciting episode, Alex. I can't thank you enough for doing it. It's been great for me too. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this and I look forward to staying in touch. Awesome. You take care and have a good rest of your day. All right. You too. Take care, everyone. So this concludes episode 127 of the Career Warrior podcast. Can't thank you enough for joining us on this journey. For me, I feel truly inspired to become someone who is constantly listening to other people and working um, with other people within the context of a relationship. And I really think that Alex did a fantastic job in redefining what negotiation is. It's managing those relationships and it's managing people's perceptions of you. It's not just that one-on-one conversation you have with your boss at the end of the year. So another reason why Alex is great is because you can just truly tell, even during this podcast episode, that she is listening. So citing specific examples of made me feel like I was listened to. And I think that this is something that is a strong characteristic of a good negotiator. So don't forget to listen to other people. Don't forget to pay attention to the needs of other people. I think for me, that was a really strong key takeaway. Check out this book. Make sure to tag us in a comment. And I can't wait to hear what you thought about this episode. And this concludes it. And I'll see you next time.